You're listening to Green Left um, Weekly Radio um, with Jacob and Zane, although Zane is not in the studio yet, but I'm pretty sure he will be very soon. Um, we have a pretty packed program today. Um, many of probably know about um, the US election result, and uh, I'm pretty sure we could probably dedicate our whole program to that. Um, today, um, but fortunately at um, 7.10 um, we will be having um, some correspondence um, with the international editor of Green Left Weekly, um, Stuart Monkton, who will be here to talk to us um, about, um, to have like, you know, a lengthy, quite a lengthy discussion about the US elections, um, what the results means for the left, um, the implications, you know, because one of the things about um, the U.S. elections is um, its result has been so kind of like, you know, dominant, um, has such a reverberating effect in um, Australia. Um, you know, everyone is talking about on the streets. Um, some would say, you know, some cynics would say, oh, yes, why is it that, you know, so many people care about um, U.S. politics when... Um, you don't even get the same amount of sort of energy um, from people talking about Australian politics. But the reality is, um, you know, United States has such a dominant sort of, it's such a dominant force in the world that, you know, anything that happens there in politics um, does have an effect here. So it'll be interesting to see um, what transpires out of the Donald Trump um, presidency. And we'll have, I guess, a more of just a detailed discussion about that later on in um, around 10 minutes. Um, but I guess in I from first up, I'd like to a uh, wait. So, hello, Zane. Alright, so I'd just like to acknowledge um, that Green Left Radio is being broadcast to you from FreeCR Studios in Smith Street, Collingwood, which is built on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Um, sovereignty was never ceded, and as with the many other First Nations across the continent, this always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Hi, right, good morning, Zane. Good morning. All right, um, so I was just um, giving listeners a preview of what's to come for the program. Um, we have like a discussion um, with Stuart Monkton about the US elections, our international editor for the Green Left Weekly. Um, and then we also have an interview later at 7.30 a.m. with Mahmoud to talk about um, the recent sort of upheavals that have been happening in Turkish politics, including the arrest of several MPs of... Um, of um, the HDP, which is a progressive left-wing sec- um, party in mm. the um, Turkey politics. So imagine, I guess, an, sorry, imagine a scenario where, um, although um, the HDP are more left-wing than the Greens, but just imagine a scenario if um, Malcolm Turnbull arrested all the elected MPs of the Greens and senators, mm. etc. And that's re- what's happening in Turkey right now. Mm. Um, but... Moving away from international politics for a session, session, there's an article many have been following, and last week we discussed this as well, the developments that have been happening at the Bendigo Street occupation in Collingwood. Um, For first-time listeners who have just heard about this, um, the Bendigo Street occupation um, involved a series of activists from um, the Homeless Person Union and squatters, um, occupying vacant homes um, that were left behind, um, in Collingwood uh, on Bendigo Street um, that the state acquired after the um, defunct um, East-West Link project. And um, basically what has happened is there's been a big kind of legal fight uh, over the occupation and with the Daniel Andrews government um, trying to, you know, 
basically get the squatters um, out from occupying the um, from occupying the houses, and they've been occupying the houses for quite a long time, for like the past several months. Um, so there's been a, there's been a development um, in articles in the Age. Uh, article in the Age says, states homeless squatters lose legal fight to keep vacant homes in Bendigo Street. Um, the article opens up with squatters will be forced to leave vacant homes that the state acquired for the defunct. Um, East-West Link project after the Andrews government won a legal battle to take them over. Um, community lawyer Megan Fitzgerald, who has represented a number of the residents in the long-running negotiations with the state government over the properties, said warrants could be issued in coming days to remove any remaining people from the properties. I guess, as I said, dozens of people, including children and pregnant women, have been living in the houses in Bendigo Street. Um, and when about um, since March, when about 50 homeless people and members of the Homeless Persons Union Victoria moved into Bendigo Street in protest against what they said was a waste of inner city housing, um, according to Miss Fitzgerald, many of the homes have already been vacant. And of course, what's happened um, last week is um, up to f- um, 50 police officers um, went ahead, moved ahead to remove people from um, from the houses, and I guess. Community lawyers have been negotiating with the government since the injunction was drawn on when it could recover the properties, but Fitzgerald said talks broke down after police moved in last week. Um, and so I guess what sort of thing there is, you know, Spike, confirmed from the Homeless Persons Union, said the group originally stated its, started its protest to raise awareness of the sta- state's housing crisis and the fact that the acquired properties were vacant rather than for self-promotion. Mismanagement of empty publicly owned properties has contributed to the suffering of at least um, over 25,000 Victorians, he said. I guess moving away from what the age said and got to give my personal perspective, I think um, even though, you know, it doesn't seem that optimistic at this point, um, Green Left Radio and FreeCR has been a strong with staunchly stand in solidarity with, you know, the people who mm. are kind of occupying those vacant homes. It is, um, you know, the, the, um, the, da- um, the Daniel Andrews government needs to be kept accountable for, you know, there's several thousands vacant houses and they're not being used for any public good. Um, and and this, this, they need, there needs to be some, as these protesters have raised awareness about a very important issue and that, that the need to have public housing. So um, I guess um, kind of put a call out that you know um, the Bendigo Street, even though it does seem quite grim, I, I, it's still important that we give it as much support as we can. And I guess when the deportations start happening, um, though for those who are on the Bendigo Street um, phone tree, will probably receive a notification when it starts happening. I urge anyone who is available and um, at that time to go down there and to fend um, the pro the occupation. Here, here. Yeah, I think it's. Um Something that comes up um, sometimes on, in the activist community is this question of political protest versus uh, quote-unquote welfare. Uh, and that is to say it's possible for activists to sink a lot of time and energy and resources into essentially applying band-aids to the problem of capitalism And I think that the Bendigo Street occupation is really significant because it it walks a fine line between welfare and political protest, and and it combines the two really effectively. And I've yeah I've got really massive respect for those people that have 
for the Homeless People's Union Victoria and the, the people that have organised and carried out that occupation because I think it's been a really effective and, and powerful type of protest. And uh, even though the police are sort of flexing their strengths, the state is flexing its strengths and clearing people out of Bendigo Street... Um, I think that this, this is a, a really important template that's being created uh, of uh, how we can occupy. Yeah, occupy vacant, uh, publicly owned houses and uh, make use of them. And, and you can walk and chew gum at the same time. You can have a protest whilst also uh, freeing up useful living space for people who really need it. Okay, um, we are on Green Left um, Radio. Um, Stuart, are you there? Uh, yes, hello. Oh, yeah, good. All right, so I'll just introduce Stuart Monkton. Um, Stuart Monkton is the international editor at Green Left Weekly, um, the magazine, uh, the newspaper this um, program is affiliated with, um, and he's, we're going to be talking about um, the US election. So, Stuart... What is your I, initial thoughts on Donald Trump? Well, I, <laughs> I think like like most of the world, uh, the the results were extremely shocking. Mm. Uh, not simply a shock. I think it was a shock to large numbers of people, but absolutely shocking that things in the United States have reached uh, a stage, really the sort of flagship capitalist country, the the. Uh, the, you know, the world's only superpower, I think, has quite clearly reached the point of, of degeneration, where, where where a figure like a, like Donald Trump can actually win win the presidency. And I think a lot of people are still grappling uh, with with that fact. Yeah. I guess um, what, what there's been um, I've been kind of like you know reading discussions. You know, I'm sure all of us have because if you go into your newsfeed and you're a politically minded person, there's like an article on Trump every. Mm five seconds or every minute. Um, but basically some of the key debates um, that have been occurring in the left is um, whether the Trump victory was an anti-establishment vote um, or wh- and what is the class composition of, of the voters of Donald Trump uh, because there's been a common kind of liberal response has been, oh, yes, all the people that voted for Trump are you know, uneducated sort of hillbillies, which is very, like, classist kind of language. Um, but I actually, you know, in terms of what I've, the analysis, the data that we have, the, the, the picture is much more complex than that. And what is sort of your opinions on that, Stuart? Uh, well, obviously, I mean, everyone's trying to take in what happened and how, and how this happened. Well, I don't think you want to get into a false uh, dichotomy between it being a question of an of an anti-establishment vote or a vote for bigotry and and for racism, uh, because these things don't necessarily have to be counterposed. The far right has always has always represented uh, a certain anti-establishment anti-establishment vote, and has always included economic grievances. Uh, the exact uh, dimension of of both, uh, you know, I think it's going to take a, a while to there's going to be a lot of debates about it. It's going to take a while to actually. Uh, figure that out. But actually, in some ways, the, the bigger question isn't 
he isn't actually exactly who voted for Donald Trump. The far bigger question, if you look at the statistics, uh, is who didn't vote for Hillary Clinton. Uh, those two things aren't the same in the situation with voluntary voting. And in fact, the statistics show that actually the reason that Donald Trump is in the White House is not a rise in the Republican vote, although no doubt there is a, a certain shift in key states from Democrats to uh, Republicans or people who didn't vote Democrat but more voted Republican. But overall, I mean, it's, it's been widely commented on that Donald Trump actually lost the popular vote uh, to Hillary Clinton. And in fact, his vote was lower than Mitt Romney's in 2012 and quite a, quite a bit lower, actually, than uh, John McCain's vote in 2008. However, what happened was a precipitous collapse of the Democrat vote uh, by about 9 million from 2008 and about 5 million or to 6 million from 2012. So that's actually the question. The question wasn't a huge surge in voting for Trump. It's concerning that uh, nearly 60 million people vote, about 60 million people vote for someone as bigoted as, as Donald, as Donald Trump. Uh, and you could discuss how much that was. Yeah, he's, he's appealing to economic grievances and being an outsider versus versus race. But actually, the big question is, how is it possible that the Democrats could not even defeat and mobilize people to defeat uh, a candidate as widely hated uh, as Donald Trump? Obviously, his supporters love him, but you probably haven't had a more hated uh, Republican candidate. The answer is also you probably haven't had a more hated Democrat candidate either. And I think that's that's the real story, particularly for for the left. Uh, that has to be the that has to be the story. Uh, the fact that the Democrats and Hillary Clinton, in particular, as a personification of the establishment, as a personification of uh, the political class responsible for policies making people's lives a misery, uh, was unable to convince uh, anything like the numbers of people. Uh, to vote for her that would need to defeat Trump, which isn't the same as the people not voting for her supporting Trump. It's the fact that they, they were not willing to vote, uh, for, were not willing to vote for Hillary, Hillary Clinton. I think that's, that's the big story. Uh, and, and it shows that people have no faith in, in establishment politics. Uh, I think that's, uh, that, I think that's really the takeaway for the left looking at how to move forward in the United States and those of us trying to look try to look lessons. It's sort of that's more interesting thing than necessarily uh, the fact that the Republican vote stayed more or less the same. So you know the exact reason people might have voted Trump is is one factor, but the decisive one is where were the millions of people not willing to vote for, who who weren't willing to vote for the Democrats? Because I think they'll also be decisive going forward in terms of resisting Trump's agenda. Yeah, I think um, Zane, do you have a comment? Yeah, one of the uh, I've sort of been having some uh, discussions, sometimes heated with people on social media about the election result. What does it all mean? Um, one of the charts that's been going around, both in the lead up to the election and based on exit polls, is the the really striking. Uh, racial dimension to the vote insofar as a, a massive proportion of black people voted for Clinton and did not vote for Trump and very high numbers, quite, not quite as uh, pronounced as the black vote but something like two-thirds of uh, Latino and Asian voters voted uh, Democratic in, instead of uh, Republican. So... Um, and then yeah. another aspect is the um, uh, someone I was uh, talking to said, "Well, 
now that Barack Obama is not the candidate, uh, the number of black people voting has yeah. would, would have dropped. How, how yeah. significant do you think that is? Because to me, it's, yeah. it's an odd dynamic. Heaps of black people didn't vote for Trump yeah. and did vote for Clinton. So, is but that again, that was—I mean, that's 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 absolutely that's absolutely true. Um, there was like eighty-eight percent voted of, of black people who voted uh, voted for Clinton. Then again, that's down from a bit over ninety percent uh, for for Obama. So actually, uh, it, it's, there has actually been a slight shift in that sense. Not a big shift. I don't think it's probably the the election, but there is a small drop in people in black people who voted voting voting Democrat. Which again, just to, to have that when the candidate is Donald Trump, the most openly racist candidate, uh, probably since uh, Barry Goldwater, uh, who whose rallies were that virtually, you know, KKK hate rallies in some cases. Um, mm. A lot of the time, he didn't. This always talk about race. He talked about trade. He talked economics, all the rest of it. But there was a strong uh, racist element, and anyone, everyone could see it. The black people felt were, were attacked and threatened at his at his rallies. That really can again. That really condemns uh, Hillary Clinton. But there's another story there as well, which is all of the black people and other uh, minorities and very poor people who didn't vote. And I think there's there's two elements to that. One is the fact that they clearly uh, do not feel motivated to vote Democrat, combined with, I and mean, we sort of have to talk about this, the extent to which the United States, they could only think, oh, you know, the US is fucked, everyone, everyone supports Trump. I mean, the fact that it's simply not very democratic. Hmm. Uh, it's, and that's not just in the big sense that it's largely a corporate oligarchy and they own the politicians, they own the political process. Even on paper, it's not that democratic. The fact that Trump could lose a popular vote and win the presidency. Uh, and the fact that you have a situation where there's been, in, in particularly in southern states, a huge effort to disenroll and deny the vote to black people. And it was the first election in 50 years where the voter right act in, in key places, in a lot, of, a lot of places, didn't apply, been struck down in court. Uh, this is an astonishing situation. It was the key win of the, one of the key wins of the civil rights struggle uh, 50 years ago, uh, and, and it, it was struck down. Uh, and you had a situation where there were hundreds of less polling, hundreds of less polling booths. That's not even considering the fact that, you know, if, you, if you're in prison or if you've been a prisoner, you can't vote, which applies to millions of, of black people, particularly black, particularly black men. And the irony, of course, is that that was Clintonite Democrats uh, as responsible for that as anyone. Uh, and that actually disenfranchised the whole set of the people that, you know, Clintonite Democrats that represent may not be in their interest, but Trump is even even less in their even less in their interest. So I think that's those are uh, those are kind of key factors there. Hmm. Yeah, I guess uh, interesting comment because you know going back to that really um, silly Slavoljevic comment before the election, <laughs> he basically argued um, he would vote for Donald Trump uh, because. This basically, it's a kind of argument of accelerationism, um, which is basically right. an argument that, you know, the radical left or left-wing politics or social movements will grow in a moment of deep crisis. And if you vote right. for the, for the candidate that will give the most, the biggest crisis point, um, then suddenly the radicalism will arise. But it's got to get worse before it gets yeah, better. I mean, there are cases in history where that has been the case, but I guess, one thing to consider in the case of the United States is, you know, the United States isn't actually 
undergoing a right-wing shift. I don't know that it is, like, you know, Donald Trump actually does single yeah. right-wing shift, but there is actually a very, lots of strong growing social movements. I mean, under Obama in the last eight years, which is one of those presidents that you think um, the populist would be most compliant to because there's still a lot of progressive illusions in the Obama administration. You had the Occupy movement, um, you had the 50 Now campaign, which is still growing, um, which is a campaign for um, for the minimum wage, sugar um, you also had the elect, uh, election of a socialist alternative councillor um, who's been doing a lot of fantastic work and she's currently calling for mobilisations yeah. against Donald Trump. And then you also have Black Lives Matter, um, another important sort of trade. You have the key um, stone pipeline um, movement yeah. and then you have and then you have yeah. all this stuff that's happening in Standing Rock and of course then the yeah. Bernie Sanders phenomena which is um, a, yeah. you can single that there is a, a shift to the left and um, I think it's kind of yeah and what does kind of like Donald Trump mean for these social movements? Um, well first of all I mean it's quite clearly that there is um, the dissatisfaction in, in, in the US and it's finding uh, expression. I mean, these, these social movements remain, you know, in their early early stages. But probably the most decisive uh, indication of a desire for change was, uh, and the potential for that to take a left wing thing was actually the Bernie Sanders political uh, insurgency in the, in the Democrat Party that the Democrats uh, crushed. And we, of course, it's been widely commented on that that Bernie Sanders polls were much better than against Donald Trump were much better than Hillary Clinton's and they, they, they always they always were. Uh, and while it remains um, that you can say anything is certain after all the polls didn't, didn't play out very well on the day anyway, um, I think it's safe to assume that, that Bernie Sanders' sort of socialist-leaning message, his sort of pro-class, pro-anti-corporate uh, message, you know, calling for a political revolution against the billionaire class, Certainly, that that kind of campaign certainly couldn't have done worse against Trump than Clinton's than Clinton's campaign campaign did, and certainly would have had a far better chance, particularly in some of the states that went Republican, that were uh, the swing states with a lot of rural poor people. Definitely uh, would have had a far better chance. That's not to say it's guaranteed, because if you look at things like the, the fact, the other fact that it can't be told is the fact that the Democrat machine might have sabotaged Sanders' campaign. The corporate media may have sabotaged Sanders' campaign. Much the same way that you see this happening to Jeremy Corbyn in what seems like a, a deliberate bid to make him unelectable. They say he's unelectable, and they seem to be going out of the way to make it a reality. So you've got that factor. But nonetheless, the fact that you know, in the primaries, more than 12 million people willing to vote for, for a, a candidate who talked about uh, socialism, political revolution in the billionaire class, does show that you know, people are angry and they are, they're, willing, they're willing to do it. And you've already seen very, I think it's quite heartening to see just how quickly, uh, straight away, you, you've, you've seen uh, demonstrations break out against against Trump. And I think that's really where you're not... It's not even just the question that he's going to control Congress and he's going to control all the other stuff. It's also even if the Democrats are in there, the Democrats have shown that they are not, you know, they can't resist Trump. They can't do it. It's actually going to be uh, on, on the streets and then those things that you talk about, those social movements, the people fighting pipelines, the people of Standing Rock, the Black Lives Matter movements and all those movements that have been coherent in the last few years, as initial as they are, that's really where that's really where hope is, is going to lie. Uh, those, those who think that that's inevitably strengthened by having Donald Trump in uh, don't know much about history. I don't think they know much about history at all. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't think they... 
to understand what, what creates strong social movements and where radicalizations come from because it was simply the worst possible leader or the, and the most right-wing things that are anti-people and the worst repression, which is going to worsen probably under Donald Trump. Uh, then you'd see the poorest country and the most dictatorial countries would be the ones always in revolt, but that's not how that how it happens. And the biggest social movements in the United States broke out and won a whole series of deaths. Uh, post-World War II when the economic prosperity was the highest it's ever been. Because when things start to change in people's favour, they begin to ask broader questions and they begin to wonder whether or not other things can change. What's the point in being guaranteed a job? Young people felt in the 1960s if they were then went off to, to Vietnam or, you know, or the job was just for some corporation that hates humanity. Uh, they were willing to ask those sort of questions when their parents were because their parents had to fight for a job. Uh, so it's, it's not just the case... Of course, other, you know, other times, you know, things getting worse can spark radicalizations as well. It depends on how strong people feel. And, uh, and in that sense, what will actually, a sense that fighting back can win is the most decisive thing, not how bad a president, not how bad a president is. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, so we're going a bit, we're running a bit low on time now. So do you have any, any sort of concluding thoughts, Sane and, um, Stuart? Well, well, I'll just conclude by saying it's obvious the system has no future. A system, a system in which Donald Trump could even be the candidate for one of the two major parties is not a system with much of a future. <laughs> um, and the fact that it can win, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, it's quite obvious that uh, the, the system cannot, is no longer functioning, no longer working, and therefore the answer really, and it's quite clear that the Democrats cannot represent that and do not represent, do not represent that. They've failed and their, their politics have failed decisively. So it does really come down to a combination of, uh, ordinary people who will be the victims of Trump, just like they were the victims of both Democrat and Republican administrations in the past. Uh, Trump will be worse. And those victims organizing the fight back in social movements and then out of that building a political alternative of the, of the sort that you saw Sanders inspire, the sort that uh, Jill Stein tried to inspire and her vote was about three times higher. It was about 1.2 million people. Uh, that's really where the alternative, the alternative lies. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Thanks for that, Stuart. Uh, it's been a very no good discussion. Yeah, cheers. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Stuart Monkton there, international editor of Green Life Weekly. Um, you're listening to 3CR. Alrighty, you are listening to 3CR. This is Green Life Radio on Friday morning. Um, now, we will get to this later in our activist news. Um, there's a public meeting to call for the dropping of charges against... Kurdish Australian journalist Renaz Lelikan. That will uh, be happening at Melbourne Trades Hall on November 17. Uh, the meeting will also call for the Kurdistan Workers' Party to be removed from the government's list of terrorist organisations. Imposed in 2004, the ban has been kept by successive coalition and labour governments to curry favour with the Turkish regime. Today, Turkey's Erdogan regime is waging a brutal war against its Kurdish minority and Kurdish-led liberation forces in northern Syria. So, uh, yeah, this morning we're going to talk to Mahmoud about uh, about that and about the uh, the People's Democratic Party or HDP in Turkey, which has had 
a number of its uh, leadership arrested by the Turkish regime. So, okay. Uh, good morning, Mahmoud. Hi, good morning. Yeah. All right. So um, we just um, we just sort of gave a background um, for um, what we wanted to talk to you about. But what can you sort of tell us about you know the sort of big kind of developments that are happening in Turkey, especially around the arrest of all the MPs from the um, HDP? Yes, sure. Look, I just want to say a few words about HTPs for maybe some of your listeners. They don't know really about HTP. HTP knows the pro-Kurdish party or sometimes a Kurdish, just Kurdish party. But HTP not is only a Kurdish party or pro-Kurdish party. The HTP is members and HTP supporters comes from the labor movement and socialist movement and um, minorities of Turkey, or ethnic or religious minorities of, of Turkey. And HTP truly represents oppressed people of Turkey, not only Kurds, but Assyrians, Armenians, Alevis, and socialists. And in a parliament, they have the, uh, all their representations. And last June election, HTP able to got 13, over 13% of votes and uh, with uh, 80 MP. But unfortunately, ruling AKP party, they panicked, they cancelled uh, election, they called snap election, and uh, they had election last November. And by the time, and they uh, raided HTP offices, and many HTP members have been arrested. HTP didn't have any opportunity to have uh, even election rally because uh, attacks to HTP rallies. But still HTP able to, in last year, November election, they able to get over 11% of vote with 59 MPs and became third largest party in uh, Turkish parliament. But Turkish state, Turkish regime, AKP regime, it in, was in panic because first time in Turkish history, oppressed people able to be represented in Turkish uh, parliament. And just want to give one example. It's never happened in Turkish history. And last year election, HDP first time able to have uh, openly gay candidate. This never happened to in Turkish history. And therefore, and uh, they saw HDP as a big obstacle, especially for uh, Tayyip Erdogan, who is uh, the autocratic and, uh, and dictator. Uh, and uh, he, he and his regime saw HDP as a big, big obstacle to run country uh, like a fascist state. And therefore, last week, they arrest uh, 11 of HDP MPs, including their co-president, uh, Salatin Demirtas and Figenik Sekta. And, uh, and they've issued arrest warrants for the remaining uh, MPs out of that group of 59, haven't they? Yes, yes, of, of course. I, I think all of them uh, uh, now have arrest warrants and just... Uh, Few days ago, they arrest another MPs as, as, as well. Uh, if if they can, uh, they they may arrest all MPs, and they even ignoring their judicial system as well. Because uh, uh, first they have to go through a, 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 some process, and last thing should be arresting uh, anyone. There is an allegation against them. They didn't have even a, a defense, uh, uh, but allegation hasn't proved yet. And, but like putting them in, in jail, I mean, this is uh, hijacking. This is not a judicial process. Hmm. Um, and, yep. 
What what have um, I guess political leaders from other countries had to say about this, if if anything? Look, uh, uh, in uh, Europe and European Union, in Germany or, or Italy or um, uh, even in USA, there's some criticism coming, but this doesn't make um, any sense at all. This is, I mean, uh, they they almost try to criticize Turkish state, Turkish regime. It, it's obvious this is a, a now dictatorship in in Turkey, it's a country run, run by one person, which is Tayyip Erdogan. Whatever he says, it becomes almost law, or whatever he says, the rest of the country uh, or just uh, has to has to do it or has to o- obey. And what doesn't make much sense? Uh, I mean, they criticize, but no action. And people of uh, Turkey or, or, or Kurdistan or oppressed people, we are need some action, not the words. Unfortunately, because of West and Erdogan has uh, is, uh, I mean, he's able to uh, uh, run country in uh, like a dictatorship. If they take some action if, uh, against Erdogan, uh, things would be different. But I don't think so. West have much, much interest. They seem interest. They have interest with his uh, uh, pre- presidency. Not to, they don't have any interest if uh, real people of uh, Turkey have power or, uh, unfortunately, their politics is, is very bad politics, including Australian government as well. We haven't heard anything from Australian government. Yeah, I guess the question I have is in response to um, the arrest of um, the HDP MPs, has there been any sort of you know response, like for example, mobilisations and protests? Especially Europe, uh, since last Thursday night, almost every day, and um, streets of Europe cities wherever. Kurds and Turkish lads live. There's a, a big protest in in uh, last weekend in Paris. I think about 30,000 people in in Berlin or in Cologne, about 20,000 people, and big numbers of people turning up all over Europe. Even in Australia, we had uh, Melbourne. We had three protests in Sydney. We had protests from Japan to Canada. Yes. Wherever Kurds and Turkish uh, 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 leftists and Democrats are. Protest is still going on in Turkey or in Kurdistan. Also, there is a protest, but in in Kurdistan, uh, when, uh, for example, uh, two days ago there was a protest in one of the uh, Kurdish town called Edremit. And as soon as uh, p- people come out and police uh, gunshot and two young people wounded, uh, in they they open uh, gun, uh, they fire on people, and even uh, government officials says if people come out, they fire on people and they arrest people and there is a big and big pressure on people to uh, if they come out and, and protest. Uh, um, still there is a protest, but when people come out in Turkey, they put their life definitely in, in danger And but all over Europe and, and Kurdish diaspora and protest uh, goes on. Um, Mahmoud, one of the things that I've that keeps coming up when I've uh, been at discussions about Turkish uh, politics is that the Erdogan regime uh, tries to project this power, but there's a lot of discontent within Turkey, and if um, uh, if there is a, a change in who uh, controls the country and Erdogan is pushed out of uh, the presidency 
he's likely to be arrested on all sorts of corruption charges and, and end up in jail. Um, so can you see some pathway where Erdogan can be pushed out of power? Like, it seems like despite his brutality, uh, he's, there's some fragility there as well. Uh, Look, he, 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 he may. I mean, he's, he's really corrupt. All his family, his, his sons and the, the, the millionaires, unfortunately, they, they all, all corrupt. Not only his sons or his daughters and the other uh, prime minister's uh, sons and many ministers, they, they, they all uh, corrupt. But look, uh, it's, it's, it's hard. It's, it's hard. I don't see any alternative unless, uh, unless uh, uh, the people who really believe democracy to come, come power. Otherwise, I don't think so. He'll be, he'll be charged because currently, even his, his, he allied, uh, allied, sorry, uh, with his old enemies, Kemalists, uh, secular Kemalists. The main reason Erdogan says, I am the only one who can oppress Kurds, who can finish Kurdish liberation uh, uh, movement. Uh, there is a big ar- uh, army operation also going on in North Kurdistan, big big clashes between Turkish uh, uh, state armies and, and PKK, not only in Kur- Kurd- uh, North Kurdistan, in Rojava, in Syria, even Turkish army want to enter in Iraq. Main reason, and Erdogan now, he says, he is the only one. He can um, uh, he can uh, uh, finish uh, this Kurdish uh, uh, movement uh, once uh, uh, forever. And therefore, in Turkey uh, now, most of the uh, not most of the, but almost all of the the right wing groups like National Action Party or Nationalists or Kemalists, they all come uh, behind uh, Erdogan. Otherwise. They know he's how corrupt he is, how dictator he is, but uh, the main reason, and they, they also believe Erdogan is, uh, he got enough power to, to, to finish uh, Kurdish liberation movement. Therefore, I don't think so he's got, if any of them, in, uh, which is in Turkey, is secular Kemalists, they're very strong. But even if they come in power, I don't think so they're gonna uh, charge him. Only people who can charge him, people who, who, like uh, uh, people, like a HDP, if come in power, or people who really believe democracy or, or human rights, but unfortunately they are not that much as, as strong. And also uh, the West and USA, I don't think so. Or they really interest in charging uh, Erdogan, even he is uh, commit war crimes. He's commit very uh, many many war crimes. And last year when they destroyed. Kurdish towns such as Jizre, Shirnak, Nusaybin, when they displaced over 500,000 people, and they also killed many, many civilians, and this all proved, and they live, they they burned life to uh, about 300 people in, in Jizre. This is war crime, but uh, unfortunately, no any international, uh, I mean, um, human rights organization or lawsuit, they 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 start any action against him. Hmm. All right. Um, I guess we're going running a bit low in time now. Um, do you have any sort of concluding thoughts, um, Mahmoud, before we um, move on? So, uh, um, I mean, this uh, uh, Thursday, uh, we, we, uh, Australian Folk Kurdistan, they have a, a public forum 
at 6 uh, 30 and about uh, Renas Lenikan case. I mean, I mean, Renan, Renas Lenikan been uh, arrested is enough free uh, Australian uh, Kurdish uh, journalist. This is as a result of Turkish policies, a result of Turkish policies oppressing Kurds and unfortunately the West cooperating with, with Turks. Therefore, I think it's important if people come to this uh, public uh, uh, forum and to uh, to say what his lawyer is going to say or, or to support this. I mean, we should... Uh, wherever people oppress, I think it's all connected to each other. It's not only uh, only Kurds or like Aboriginal people oppressed here or Kurds oppressed in uh, Kurdistan or and native people of Canada is you know, oppressed in Canada or America. I mean, if you want to come together, if you want to come together, unfortunately, and this uh, will go on. Therefore, it's important to support each other and not to say, oh, this happening in Middle East or this happening in Latin America or, or India. I am far from there. It's not related to our struggle. This wouldn't be true. All struggles relate to each other. Therefore, the only way to uh, to be free, we should work together. Otherwise, what's happening like in America, if you, if you want oppressed people won't come together and people like Trump, they, they will... Uh, they will come in power and using uh, uh, using this uh, uh, situation, using crisis of uh, uh, capitalism or, or globalism. Unfortunately, we should be people who are uh, who are getting this opportunity to bring people together. But unfortunately, it's going uh, other way. Hi, hey, very well said, yeah, yeah. Mahmoud. All right, thank, well, uh, thank you. Yeah, thanks for speaking with us uh, once again, Mahmoud. And uh, yeah, it's thanks always thanks giving you for this opportunity. Thank you very much. Always good to get an update. Uh, from you, comrade. Yeah, thank, thank you. you very much. Have a nice day. Bye. All right. And uh, as Mahmoud was saying, there's a public meeting this Thursday uh, coming, November 17. That's at 6:30 p.m. at the New Council Chambers at Trades Hall, corner of Lagon and Victoria Streets. Uh, entry is five dollars or three dollars concession, and that's to call for the dropping of charges against Renaz Lelikan, uh, a Kurdish Australian journalist. So, yeah, show some solidarity with uh, the, the Kurdish community and with the, with the left in Turkey and head along to that meeting if you can make it. Right. I might just go play a quick announcement. We probably have time for a few short news items before we go on to the activist calendar. All right. Um, you're back on Green Le- um, Left Weekly Radio on 855 AM 3CR. Um, we are going to move on to activist calendar soon, but um, just get a read out a short article from Green Left Weekly. Um, this is a front page article um, um, written by Sarah Halfway. Um, the article is, t- is about you know workers' lives more worth more than bosses' profits on workplace safety. Um, starting off, it, the Mining and Energy Division of the Construction, Forestry, Mining and Energy, CFMEU, released a statement on October 28th calling for tougher laws to hold employers accountable for workers' deaths on site. Um, the, this follows reports um, that mining um, company Anglo, Anglo-American has pleading has pleaded guilty to, uh, to fa- um, for failing to meet their safety obligations, which caused the death uh, of Paul McGuire. The maximum um, penalty is a fine of 550000 but Ango had offered a deal of a fine of 100000 and 15000 in investigation cost. Um, to, for a bit of background on Ango American, it is one of the world's largest mining companies with, he- with headquarters in London and mining operations in Australia, South Africa, North and South America. Ango American 
produces copper, platinum, diamonds, iron ore, manganese, and so. Um, in um, going back to the incident in May 2014, electrician Paul McCoy died while working at a grass tree coal mine northwest of Rockhampton. McGuire's workmates found him unconscious inside an enclosed part of the mine where he was performing maintenance work. It is believed that McGuire had opened the hatch to the seal long wall, breathed in poisoned air and died instantly. In response to this, the CFMU Mining Energy Division Queensland District President Stephen Smith said, the deal offered to Anglo-American is a clear evidence of this disgraceful system where employers get away with cutting corners at the expense of workers' safety. It's disgraceful Anglo was offered a dirty deal that saw nelegant culprits walk free while young family mourns at the loss of their father. He said we need immediate action from the Queensland government to strengthen punitive action towards employers who break the law. A petty fine doesn't even come close to bringing justice to a grieving family. Employers need to know negligence will not be tolerated. Um, the CFMEU um, plans to launch um, a campaign, kill worker, go to jail camp in response to McGuire's death and numerous recent deaths in construction sites across the country. Smith said in situations where employers are found guilty of negligence resulting in workers' death, a sentence with prison time must be given. We need strong action when duty care is so clearly neglected. Um, I guess in sort of like, you know, um, in response to this, it is critical that unions go on offence. There's been... You're listening to Community Radio. 3CR. 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 855 AM. Um, which would have made, made it, um, if passed, would make it harder for for work, um, for workers in CFNU to, um, to organise workplace safety. Um, it is critical that, you know, you're listening to Community Radio. 3CR. 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 3CR.
Um, me, but in response, you know, MTAG points out that Francis Street is a narrow residential street with a community centre and childcare facilities as well as hundreds of houses. Imagine what it would be like reversing out of your driveway with the kids in your backseat into the traffic with these monster trucks bearing down on you. These trucks belong on freeways and highways, not narrow residential streets. Our community should not have to pay the price of poor Rick Rose plans and the failure of state governments to build adequate road structure to the port. CityLink and the Bolt um, Bridge are only 17 years old and were not built to take these trucks. Um, the, and I guess in the past few decades, the Rome tra- um, truck traffic has, you know, Nyavu has increased. Um, there's been studies that shown, for instance, that children living or going to school near the truck fuel fair suffer a greater incidence of asthma than those further away from the diesel fumes. Um, MTAG to- added with in the statement um, that, you know, we've been told by um, Daniel Andrews that we can't have track bans until the planned Western Distributed Tollway is built. We say that the freight industry industry must also wait until proper road infrastructure is built to continue to use these monster trucks in the inner west. All right, so we're going on to, um, sorry for that, um, listeners, um, just had to grab the announcements. Um, in terms of what's happening um, this week on the activist calendar, um, we have, there's a number of events um, happening. Um, this weekend, um, there will actually be, um, though I'm not sure how big it is, it's going to be, but there will be um, a protest against Trump um, being organi- that is being organised at 1pm. Um, by, I think it's organised by Monash University students. Um, that will be happening on um, this Saturday at 1pm. Um, there will be a public meeting um, to, uh, this Thursday that we talked about um, to drop the charges against Renas Lincoln um, where um, Kurdish Australian journalist Renas Lincoln has been charged with membership of the Kurdish Australia's Workers' Party which is listed as a terrorist organisation by government. Um, the speakers to be announced but it will be $5-$3 at New Council Chambers at Trades Hall at 6.30 and it's um, this Thursday the November the 17th and it's organised by Australia's for Kurdistan. Um, on Saturday night, next Saturday night, um, if you want to um, support our program and free CR, um, we'll be, um, there will be a Green Left Radio Shrivian Night, um, which will be starting at 6, doors will be opening at 6pm for a um, 7pm start. Um, it will be a night of Shrivian politics, um, dinner and drinks available and there will be prizes to be won. And it will be, um, it will be at the Metro West, um, 138 Nicholson Street. Um, for bookings and info, phone 96398622. And it is a fundraiser for Green Left Radio and FreeCR. Uh, do you have any um, other announcements, Sane? No, not particularly. Just me quick. I might, I think I have a few more announcements. Just me quickly. Yeah, sure. Okay, so in terms of other events that are happening um, in the following weeks, um, there will be a there will be a rally on um, this Saturday. No privatisation of um, disability service, um, but it, that is going to be um, a protest at the ALP State Conference against the privatisation of disability services. Um, that will be at um, 9:30 a.m. at the Mooney Rally Racing Club, and it's organised by Haksu. 
Um, there'll be a public meeting um, in Coburg um, on Saturday night, Islamophobia Australians United Against Hatred. It features a number of guest speakers, and that will be at 5pm at Coburg this tomorrow at the um, Coburg Town Hall 90 Bell Street. Um, Naomi Klein will also be speaking um, tomorrow night, but um, there's probably no real point in announcing it, but it's probably in, um, because it's all completely booked out. <laughs> Um, but yeah, just probably interest listeners probably would be interested in hearing that Naomi Klein will yes will be speaking and yeah and unfortunately um, the tickets tickets have all been booked out already but we did announce it in the previous weeks when it, they weren't booked out. Um, there'll be a rally demanding action for people experiencing domestic violence at 8:45 a.m. at the Fair Work Commission at 11 Exhibition Street on Monday 8:45 a.m. Um, there'll be, and then there'll be on Tuesday, there'll be, uh, f- yep, finish? Yes. Okay. All right. <clears throat> um, well, uh, once again, it is time for our 40 days of radical radio section, which we've been doing on 3CR over the last uh, couple of weeks. And today we're listening to archive audio from 3CR's national program, Earth Matters, which in the 1990s broadcast on-the-ground coverage of the blockades to stop uh, old ghost forest logging at Gulungook in East Gippsland. So, uh, yeah, 3CR coverage played an important role in the success of this campaign. So, yeah, for the next half hour, check it out, the Gulungook campaign on Earth Matters. 3CRs turn 40, and from Monday 10th of October right through to Saturday 19th of November, we're celebrating. Join us on 3CR Breakfast from 8 until 8.30am, Monday to Saturday, as we delve into our rich 3CR archive and bring you half an hour of historic gems. So start your day with the sounds that built a station. 40 days of groundbreaking audio celebrating 3CR's 40 years of radical radio. Cape identification for Earth Matters, Program 38B, to go to where on the Comrades sat at 3 minutes past 4 on the 2nd of January 1998. Starts with voice in 5, 4, 3, Hello and welcome to Earth Matters, environmental issues on public and community radio right around Australia. Please, the roads are blocking the road. The media and the prisoners are unable to come out at this stage in time. On today's program, we take a look at the clear felling of Goolungook in Victoria's East Gippsland and the struggle to stop the destruction of Goolungook's old growth native forest during 1997. The 5th of June 1997 was World Environment Day, but it was also the day the dozers went into Goolungook in Victoria's East Gippsland.
Goolungook is an area recognised by environmentalists and government department scientists as a region of biological and ecological significance because of its unique flora and fauna and intact nature. The start of logging was met with the start of a major direct action campaign in the Goolungook Forest, which has seen almost 200 people arrested. Those people were all charged with obstructing lawful logging operations and are yet to be processed in the Victorian courts. The following piece was broadcast on Earth Matters just a couple of weeks after logging began in Goolungook in June 1997. So it's about 5.30 in the morning, it's almost light. Uh, we've had the first wave of police come in and basically what they've done is try and ascertain the level of the obstruction that they're facing, i.e. how many people do they have to unlock or cut off, etc., how many people are in the bush. They've tried to create a media line at the bottom of the hill whereby the media retreat behind that line and to their credit they appear to be refusing to do it because obviously then no one can see what happens in here. Um, as yet no one has moved, um, I guess there's about 25, yeah about 25 people, uh, they're just making another warning now. Um, they don't have the facilities as, at, as yet to actually arrest people so I, and it's also not light so it would be fairly dangerous thing to do potentially so I wouldn't do it if I was them. The contractor's on site, he's kind of just getting ready trying to start working um, and it's fairly kind of given how chilly it is everyone's quite relaxed and um, we have two people locked on very, very well under the log loader with um, some kind of large piping and we have at least one person under the bulldozer. We know we have about seven people who are back in the gully there who will start moving uh, should they be successful in cutting the people off the equipment here. Cam Walker of Friends of the Earth speaking on Monday June the 16th, 10 days after logging began in Goolungook in Victoria's East Gippsland. Well, activists from around Victoria and interstate have taken direct action against the logging of Goolungook since operations began. Michelle, you've been here quite a bit. Do you want to just tell us what's, what's been going on and how you've been involved? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we've, um, we've had a blockade here, or we had a blockade here for seven months, and it was busted on the day before World Environment Day, and they commenced logging the next day. And um, we've been in protesting either here or in the, in the department office in Orbost every day since, since that was um, busted. And so far we've had 53 arrests, and I think there'll be more today. Um, we've had people locking onto machinery, we've had people up tripods and monopoles. Um, people feel very passionate about this forest. It's rare old growth forest uh, with overlap of warm and cool temperate rainforest, which is a very rare type of forest and lots of endangered species. I mean, you can hear the birds calling now. The government's own reports say it should never be logged um, and they've chosen to ignore that in the current RFA process and um, we feel like there's nothing else left to do than to stand here and, um, and blockade it by, um, by, by this form of protest. Um, and I just hope that, uh, that the government starts listening and makes this a national park as it should be. So they've only been in here for a couple of weeks, but do you want to just maybe describe the view that we've got from here? Okay, we're looking over a pretty massive devastation site already, right in the heart of this magnificent forest. Um, they've only actually had a few um, days of, um, of, of full hours of work. Um, we've, we've slowed them up on most other days other than two. But um, 
yeah, it's um, they've they've ripped down so many of the big trees. They've smashed through tree ferns, and um, and we've probably already lost some endangered species here in this forest. What sort of endangered species have we got here? Um, well, there's um, slender tree ferns, yellow elderberry, um, and um, we found the other day while someone was being chased by a um, by a cop um, a skirted tree fern, which um, which is very rare and has not been found um, found in in many areas, and that may already be gone. Um, and some of the animals here, uh, the sooty owl, the um, long-footed potteroo, tiger quolls, um, have um, yeah lots of endangered animals. Like the list is so long, um, and they know all about them. And the tiger quoll was sighted recently in this very coop, and the response from the department is to put that coop straight on the current harvesting list. Michelle van Gerevink in the logging coop at Gulungguk. Locking on to logging equipment is an effective tactic for slowing down the daily clear felling operations and Richard Hendry was one of three people attached to the log loader. I'm here, you know, peaceful protest to save this, you know, well, what should be, you know, world heritage. This is, you know, it's the most beautiful forest I've ever personally seen and you know, I'm proud to go this length to protect it. Do you want to tell me what you're attached to and how you're attached? Uh, not at the moment. Do you want to tell me vaguely at least what what it is? Not not uh, obviously how it's, how you're attached, but yeah. Um, well, it's pipe going into um, concrete barrel, as far as I know, and so on the other like, on, on the other side. And what's a bit of machinery? Um, it's a log loader. During all this action, police were keen to remove everyone from the coop, including mainstream and community media. On previous days, media representatives had been arrested while trying to cover the issue, and police threatened to do the same again. Jeff Riley is from Community Television in Melbourne. Well, the idea of event, I guess, has a beginning, a middle, and an end, and I'm here to document the whole sequence, not just a portion of it. Well, what so we're go going to do now, you've got enough film footage of the devices, what's happened, and uh, we'll have, head down to the bottom of the hill now, please. Are the other media... Everyone's going the same. Please uh, leave. Uh, do you have a problem with people uh, being here not in the way? I'm saying everyone in this coop area is in the way to please leave. Thank you. So there's no way we can stay and not no, in the way? No, no. Out of the coop, you've got no licence to be here. Leave. Those remaining shall be arrested. Simple. Media line will be down the bottom of the hill. Thank you. Despite the threats, media were allowed to stay on this particular day to document the action and the removal of the protesters. I tried to remove the two people that are locked onto a log loader at the moment. Um, I think they're still sussing out exactly how they're locked on. We've got a few media people around still. They haven't attempted moving the person off the dozer yet. And there's... Um, Ooh, two loggers and two DNRE <laughs> standing around a fire. Okay, well, I've got um, a bicycle lock around my neck and I'm locked onto the log loader because um, I really don't want them to log our forests, beautiful old growth forests with amazing biodiversity. This is such a special area and there's just no way it should be logged. And I'm just here to say that I want my kids to be seeing this forest. It's just the most beautiful place in the world. Um, and it's been really, really hard the last week and a half just to watch them cut it down, just tree by tree. It's crash, crash. 
you know, and listen to the bird noises. There are still a couple, but yeah, I don't know what to say. Um, they're trying to angle grind a person that's locked on around the neck. The angle grind is a couple of inches away from her neck and there's sparks flying all over her. And they did have other options to, to get her off, yeah? Yeah, they just had to wait for a bolt cutter, a pair of bolt cutters to arrive, but they were impatient. They wanted to get the sparks flying. bicycle lock around Jules's neck was cut off by an angle grinder with assurances from the police that they wouldn't slip. Part of these protests we've got like people locked on and, and a lot of people have already left the coop as well mm -hmm. but often there's also what's called black wallaby perhaps mm -hmm. if you could just describe what that is and how it works okay um black wallabies um are hiding in the forest and running around in the forest and they call out to to let the police and the loggers and the department know that they are there um we've also been telling them that they're there because um we've heard via radio that there are still people in the forest and um and the response in the last couple of days to that is just completely ignoring it and um, they've started felling trees while there's been people in the forest. We've instructed them that they are endangering human lives by doing that and um, they com have completely ignored it and continued to fell trees on people and um, some people have been narrowly missed um, and trees have fallen near them as close as five metres. I'm really concerned that um, somebody's going to die in these forests before this whole thing is over and it just seems like nobody cares. Um, the department officers, the loggers and the police all say it's not my responsibility and um, no one's prepared to take ownership for their decisions to, in risking human life. And um, I think the department has shown that it doesn't care about the forest, doesn't care about the wildlife and now it doesn't care about human life either. After the three people attached to the log loader and the one to the bulldozer were removed and arrested, logging operations began. This despite calls for logging to stop because there were still people in the coop. direct action in the forests of Goolungook in the middle of 1997 and nationwide you're listening to Earth Matters and this is Paul Kelly one of many prominent Australians to come out publicly and condemn the logging of old growth native forest at Goolungook in Victoria's East Gippsland in the, in the middle of a dream I lost my shirt upon my rings I've done all the dumb things Caught the fever, heard the tune, thought I loved you, hung my heart on the moon, started howling, made no sense, thought my good friends would rush to my defense. 
In the middle, in the middle, in the middle of a dream, I lost my shirt, I pawned my ring, I've done all the dumb things. Yeah, I threw my hat into the ring, I've done all the dumb things. Never stops me from going through these things more than twice. I see the knives are shining bright. I turn my back. I hear the train coming and I stay right on that track. In the middle, in the middle, in the middle of a dream. I've lost my shirt. I've worn my rings. I've done all the dumb things. Yeah, melted wax to fix my wings. I've done all the dumb things, and I threw my hat into the ring. I've done all the dumb things. Well, I thought that I just had to sing. I've done all the dumb things. Dumb things by Paul Kelly. Well, despite protests, significant sections of Goolungook Forest in East Gippsland have been clear-felled. Some three coops, or around 100 hectares, have been logged and at least the same amount of old-growth forest is scheduled for logging in autumn of 1998. One of the test cases of those arrested during 1997 involves Tasmanian Green Senator Bob Brown, who was arrested back on June the 13th. Legal representatives for Senator Brown say that the logging of the Goolungook Heritage River area was unlawful considering the Heritage Rivers Act. They say that a 200 metre buffer zone along the Heritage River that runs through Goolungook should have been respected and that around one third of the area Clearfeld was thus done so illegally. The case is currently adjourned until the 27th of February in the Mori Magistrates Court of Victoria. But now, let's hear some more from the direct action of June 1997 at Policeman Terry Bradford making one of many warnings in another day of blockading in the Goolungook Forest of Victoria's East Gippsland. Monday, June 2nd, saw the number of arrests at Goolungook exceed 90. Activists locked onto the log loader, blockaded the road and river crossing and scaled trees, tripods and bipods. This is celebration, this 
You're listening to 3CR's 40 Days of Radical Radio Special, celebrating 3CR's 40 fabulous years of community radio. Okay, um, I'm Berger and I'm located on a bipod which is connected to a tripod. So basically you've got to wait for the police to somehow get me down because I haven't got a rope to get down anymore. Um, I'm doing it because... This forest here at Gulungguk is, I mean, it's 800 years old. It's a magnificent forest. One of the few remnants left. Okay, it's got lots of endangered species in it. Um, powerful owl, coals and stuff like that. It's a magnificent place. And, um, you know, it's a government that's both state and federal with their regional forest agreements that are stuffing it up. Um, they're just allowing loggers to come in here and wood chip it, selling it at $78 a tonne to day shower a Japanese woodchipping company and it's just not on our national heritage getting sold off at $78 a tonne and that's what I'm doing this for and this is actually a, a, a river that you've got a tripod over can you tell us anything about this river? Coolangook uh, River is this whole catchment is just pristine A grade quality catchment and the logging operations well naturally you get stuff like runoff um, well, they've got a 200 metre buffer but I mean, it affects the whole catchment further up. Uh, you know, the erosion that's caused from the logging is just immense if you have a look. It's incredible. So, Berger, you're pretty high up. Do you want to tell us maybe roughly how high up you are and how they're going to get you down? Um, it's about 20, 25 metres, and exactly how they get me down, I'm not quite sure, because <laughs> if they, it's the tripod's blocking the bridge and I'm on a bipod which is connected by a long piece of wood and uh, they can't really move the tripod without the bipod that I'm sitting on falling down so uh, I'm sure they got away though, I mean it's been done before it's just a matter of wait and see. Berger's bipod and tripod construction was positioned over a National Heritage listed river. Later in the day nine people were arrested while trying to stop a bulldozer driving through the river. Earlier on, police arrested five others attached to cranes, dozers and log loaders. Fiona York is with the Goongarra Environment Centre office. Um, Kate was locked on to the top of the log loader and they're now attempting to lower the arm that she's locked onto by... Well, Wayne's in the machine now, he's moving it slowly down. She's straddled by a cough and they're backing the ute up as we speak, to catch her, I think, as she falls. I don't know what they're doing. Now we've got three cops standing on the back of the ute, one cop straddling Kate, who's straddling the machine, and they're still moving the machine arm. She's being lowered slowly towards the other cops. They're trying not to jam her in between the hydraulics, but seems to be doing an okay job so far. Now she's at a quite a severe angle with her head facing down. Oh, arms out. <laughs> got four cops hanging onto her and she's sliding down, down into the arms of the police and into the ute. And now she's down and I assume she's under arrest. Put her feet down, Friday. Careful. 
Are you going to sing? Gecko's Fiona York describing the arrest and removal of activist Kate Campbell by police and logging contractors. All those arrested are charged with obstructing forestry operations. <coughs> Timber workers have managed to enter the coop on just two days out of the last three weeks and they say the impact of the blockade... All the action brought the mainstream media out in droves with one nationwide live cross via satellite from the blockade. Australia's first woman to reach the peak of Mount Everest was the focus of much mainstream media attention. My name is Brigitte Neu and I'm a mountain climber. Well, I've just completed the ascent of the highest mountain on each continent and I've I'm the first Australian to have done that and I also became the first Australian woman to climb Mount Everest on the 27th of May. And this morning you've been doing something quite different. Yeah, climbing a tree which was uh, a bit of an epic because I'm not used to it anymore but uh, it was worth it. I, I put up a, a banner up a tree, um, I can't even remember what it said actually, <laughs> let the forest rest for it. No, let these forests forever rest or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I think that's yeah. what it was. And tell us why you did that. Well, I did that because I have a big concern about the native forests being exploited. I think they should just be left alone. There are alternatives, even existing at the moment, pine plantation, which certainly could be developed and, and be sufficient for all our needs, and even for exporting if we choose to do so. And what's your impression of the, the forest here? And and the view that you must have had of it from, from the tree you were up. Oh, it's a beautiful forest, like all the forests in Australia, and it should be left alone. Like It was just amazing to see the damage that these people do by clear felling everything. It's just a total disaster. How are you going to take, take this message and, and what you've seen today further? I think I'll be doing a few lectures in schools, for example, and I think that's a good place to start because um, children need to be told that... Um, Cutting trees is just not done, cutting old growth trees, and that um, there are other things we can do beside that. And children are, you know, the adults of the future, so they'd be the one taking, taking charge in not too many years, and that they should be able to make the right decisions. And so what sort of a message do you hope to get out today? We had a lot of media, we had a live cross and all sorts of things. Please, please, people, get in touch with your government and tell them that they're doing the wrong thing. If that's what you believe in, you have to act on it. While climber Brigitte Muir removed herself from the coop before being arrested, another tree sitter remained in the coop all day to witness what he estimated to be the felling of some 100 trees of the old growth at Goolungook. The Goongaroo Environment Centre office is the place to call if you'd like more information about the blockade at Victoria's Goolungook Forest. And the number to call is 0351 540 156. 
A recording from June 1997 on Earth Matters and you can still contact Gecko on that number because as I said earlier on today more logging is scheduled for Gulungguk in 1998. If you're looking for an excuse to go and check out the forests of East Gippsland in Victoria, the Goongra Gathering is happening on the long weekend of the 24th to the 27th of January. There'll be workshops, walks, food and music and it'll be a great way to get informed and active. So that's the Goongra Gathering, January 24th to the 27th at Goongra on the Bonang Highway in East Gippsland. And you can give Gecko a call on 0351 540-156 for more information. And that's all on Earth Matters today. Public and Community Radio's National Environment Program broadcasts weekly on the ComradeSat, the satellite service of the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. The program is produced and presented by myself, Juliet Fox, in the studios of Melbourne's 3CR Community Radio. Financial support is gratefully received from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you again next week for environmental issues on Earth Matters. Bye. CRs turn 40 and from Monday 10th of October right through to Saturday 19th of November we're celebrating. Join us on 3CR Breakfast from 8 until 8.30am Monday to Saturday as we delve into our rich 3CR archive and bring you half an hour of historic gems. So start your day with the sounds that built a station. 40 days of groundbreaking audio celebrating 3CR's 40 years of radical radio.